Today's video was recorded on August 16, 2022, and this is the fifth in our series on the Transfiguration. In today's lesson, we're going to explore the literary progression that's found in the Gospel of Mark, and it concerns seeing and hearing as the disciples ascend on their journey toward the Transfiguration. So the rabbis taught that the kingdom of God comes through seeing and hearing. And we'll see examples of this from the prophet Isaiah. The question is, do we have eyes that see and ears that hear? This is the question that Jesus is going to pose to the disciples. So the progression in Mark shows us the opening of ears to hear and the opening of eyes to see that prepares the disciples for the transfiguration event. It's there on top of that mountain where they, the disciples, then have eyes to see into the mystical nature of Jesus and ears to hear the voice from heaven that declares that Jesus is indeed the Messiah of Israel. So we hope you enjoy part five of the background to the transfiguration of Jesus and how we can understand our own spiritual progression of seeing and hearing the reality of who Jesus is. Okay, folks, let's get started tonight. And the title of what we're going to cover is Seeing and Hearing. Do we have eyes to see and ears to hear? Now, this is the fifth, it's the Transfiguration Part 5 of our series. And I hope you can see that we have to take this information non-linear. It doesn't one by one feed into the next one. So along the way, it's almost like when you look at a diamond, right? You can look at one facet of a diamond, but it doesn't define everything. You look at another facet of the di diamond, then you look at the next facet of the diamond. And that's kind of how looking at the mystical is. We're just going around. We look at different areas. Those areas help inform us to something about what's happening. And then we go look at another area. And then all of it, we just hold as this glorious thing that's happening that is truly in the mystical. So that's where we're at today in Transfiguration Part 5. Now our background painting here is by a painter, goes by single name, kind of like Prince, uh, Raphael. And this is called The Transfiguration from 1520. I had to crop this, by the way. So if you look at the, if you go look up Raphael's Transfiguration, it's, it's a tall, thin painting. And I had to crop it to fit uh, my PowerPoint. So that's what we'll use as a background. As I mentioned, we'll be looking at seeing and hearing. Now, the sages of Israel teach that the kingdom of God comes through seeing and hearing. And this is all over the Bible. And once you're aware of it, well, then you'll see it, right? You'll have eyes to see. You'll see it throughout the Bible. And that's exactly what's going to be happening with the transfiguration, that the disciples are seeing and hearing. Now, there's a similar metaphor that's also going to show up in this story, that humanity is asleep to the reality of God. And humanity needs to be woken up. And you can even be a believer in God, but that you can't see fully the true nature of God. 
So in the Bible, it's the shofar or the trumpet blast that wakes us up. That's the importance of the, the, the holiday, the festival of trumpets, Rosh Hashanah. It's a holiday where the shofar blasts and you wakes you up for the coming judgment. So even in our own modern language, we talk about someone having a spiritual awakening as if your eyes were opened and you can see things in a way you didn't see before. Now, obviously, this is a metaphor. The Bible isn't talking about literal physical sight or literal physical hearing. It's spiritual. Can you see through insight the reality of God's cosmos around us? And unfortunately, as I said, the answer is no, we don't always. But you don't despair, though, because when we read our Bible, even those disciples who were right there with Jesus the whole time, even they take time in having their eyes open to the reality of who Jesus is and how the kingdom of God is advancing. So, you know, you can think of the song Amazing Grace. The song Amazing Grace says, I, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Now, is the author of that song talking about physical blindness? No. It's talking about spiritual blindness. And finally, the recognition of God and our relationship with God. So we're going to look today at the Gospel of Mark and see that there's a progression happening. It's leading us up the mountain with the disciples toward the transfiguration and to eyes and ears being opened so that the disciples, when they get to the top of the mountain, they see there's a revelation that occurs and they hear the voice of God at the transfiguration. And so this, this story, as Mark lays it out, it has all of the metaphors of spiritual ascent. They're all happening at the same time. You go up a mountain. Their eyes and ears are being opened. And we'll see in Luke even, there's mention of being sleepy and they're waking up. And they wake up to see the reality of who Jesus is in God's cosmos. Now, I, I use the word cosmos. I do that intentionally. The word cosmos is used in the New Testament, often translated world or, you know, it could be thought of as all of creation. But cosmos as a Greek word, it means the ordered beauty of what we see around us. Uh, Pythagoras and his followers used it to describe the ordered beauty of creation, right? We use cosmotology as the ordered beauty or the ordainment of, of a female. So cosmos is God's created order, and it's beautiful. So the cosmos, the universe, it's ordered beauty, and that's God's creation. And then how is Jesus relating inside of that ordered beauty. I'm going to start with a reading from Isaiah chapter 42. And this is a very important chapter in Isaiah because it's considered a messianic passage. So Isaiah 42 is messianic. And oh, by the way, the voice from heaven at the transfiguration, I'll show you in a minute, quotes Isaiah 42 indicating that Jesus is the Messiah. 
So Isaiah 42 is connected to the transfiguration, and we'll see more of this connection next week when we look at Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. So it's very important that we look at the transfiguration right next to Isaiah 42, because that helps us understand what's going on. So, first of all, let me show you the connection, okay? It's Isaiah 42.1. We'll look at that verse, and we'll look at the voice from heaven, which is in Luke. And it's, it's only in Luke. It's Luke 9.35. So if I pull up Isaiah 42.1, it starts off, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. I will put my spirit on him is interpreted by the rabbis as the Messiah. Okay? Then if we put up Luke right next to it, this is at the transfiguration, a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And you can see my chosen one over here and whom I have chosen over here, and that's what connects. So we don't have a whole lot of time to talk about what the voice is saying, but it's important to recognize it comes in three sections. This is really cool because there are three sections to the Hebrew Bible. It's the Torah, that's the first five books of Moses, the prophets, and the writings. That's how you divide the Hebrew Bible. That's how it was divided in Jesus' day. And so we start here, and what we see here is all three sections of the Bible are there's a quote, there's a little bit from each one, and they're all pointing towards the importance of Jesus as the Messiah. So the very first one right here, this is my son. That's Psalm 2. Okay, the second one, I have chosen, Isaiah 41, the chosen one. And then this one right here, listen to him. Where does that come from? Okay, comes from Deuteronomy 18.15. And what's so important about this, in Deuteronomy 18.15, go read it. This is where God tells the Israelites and Moses, I'm going to raise up another prophet just like Moses. And then it says, I'm going to put my words in his mouth. Listen to him. So if Jesus is considered that prophet from Deuteronomy, if he's the one that's just like Moses, that's going to lead the nation out, and God's going to put his words in his mouth, then what do the people have to do? Listen to him. What do the priests and the Pharisees have to do? They have to listen to him, and they don't want to. So this is really cool, because the voice from heaven, which is God, but the voice from heaven, when God speaks, he speaks his own words. He quotes from the Torah, Deuteronomy, he quotes from the, the prophets, Isaiah, and he quotes from Psalm 2, and all of them are some messianic in nature to point, to tell you who Jesus is. So it's really cool. But this is how, first of all, we can connect the transfiguration back to Psalm, or Isaiah 42. 
Now, but I want to show you one that's going to, this one is going to apply to our talk tonight because this is going to have to do with seeing and hearing. The fact that Israel, the servant, is, has become blind and deaf to God. That's what's going on in Isaiah 42. So it's verses 18 to 20. And it starts out like this. Hear, you deaf. Look, you blind, and see. Who is blind but my servant, and deaf like the messenger I send? Who is blind like the one in covenant with me, blind like the servant of the Lord? You have seen many things, but you pay no attention. Your ears are open, but you do not listen. And this is going to be almost exactly what we're going to see Jesus saying to the disciples. Do you have eyes but that don't see and ears that don't hear? So even if you know God, you can become deaf and blind to the kingdom. So we always need to be working on our spiritual attunement, where we're, where we're constantly tuning our spirit to God so we can hear God and see the kingdom, right? If there's any chance that we're going to bring and manifest the kingdom of God into the reality today of our world, you're going to have to see it and hear it first. Okay, there's a really cool progression. There's a progression happening in Mark as they approach the, the, the mountain and the transfiguration. And it's a progression of a spiritual journey. Because God knows, you know, day one after church camp where you accept Jesus as Lord, you're not able to see. You, have, you caught a glimpse, but you're not to be able to see all of it. There's a, there's a growth process. There's a maturing process that takes place. So much of our Bible is about the maturing process or the growth process. We continually work at it. It's a lifelong journey. And so there's a metaphor, right? There's a metaphor of a mountain as a spiritual journey. That's why the transfiguration happens at the top of the mountain, which, by the way, is that mountain right there, Mount Hermon. So that's where the transfiguration took place. And see, in the ancient world, the mountain is representative of the, of the place where heaven and earth meet. So if you're on a spiritual journey, you're ascending up the mountain to the top. That's what you do. You ascend in something mystical, and that's where heaven and earth meet. What we do is there's at each level, and it's, it's a great metaphor, because if you've ever hiked up a mountain, then you recognize that as you go up one level, then the next level, and you turn around, and the next level, and you turn around, you, you have a completely different perspective of the world. Everything changes. I can see things I couldn't see before because I'm raised above the tree line. I have a different perspective on that city down there that I didn't know, recognize before. So when you're up there, that's the idea. Every spiritual level that you pass on this journey up, your perspective changes, your eyes change. You see with new eyes. You, your eyes are opened in new ways. So the goal, of course, is to ascend to the highest possible that we can Again, let me make sure this isn't, this isn't a salvation issue. This is once you're, once you're in a saving relationship with God, now you grow in the process of spiritual growth. And we do that so that we have a, 
we can see and we can hear the kingdom and bring the kingdom here on earth. So that's our goal, is to ascend. That's what's happening with the disciples. Okay? So it's a spiritual journey of ascension. They're seeing, they're hearing the reality of who Jesus is. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to start with the feeding of the 5,000. That's our starting point on this journey. Why start there? Well, that's where Jesus starts. I'll show you that in a minute. And then we're going to end at the peak. Of course, what's at the pinnacle? The transfiguration. That's where the full revelation takes place, where eyes and ears are open that they can see, the disciples can see who Jesus is. And in between those two events, what do we find? Well, we find some things. We find Jesus walks on water. That's one thing he does. He has the feeding of the 4,000. We'll talk about that in a minute. Eventually, this all leads to Peter declaring that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And that happens right before the transfiguration. And all along the way, there's a revealing of the nature of reality, who, who Jesus is. And so, like you and I, the disciples don't see it clearly right from the beginning, or at least as Mark tells the story. So this is what we're going to go on, and we're going to fill in these little blanks here, because there's some amazing, the, the miracles that take place are they, they're there for a reason, okay? So let me show you. Okay, so we're going to start at Mark 8, 17 to 21. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and read along with me, and I'll be reading from the NIV. So Mark 8, 17 to 21. This is just after the feeding of the 4,000. The feeding of the 4,000 happens in the Gentile area of the Sea of Galilee, called the Decapolis. Now, we have, there's two videos we have that talk about the details of the feeding miracles. We did a series on the Sea of Galilee last year. And if you haven't gone through these yet, it's part 11 and part 12 of the Sea of Galilee. But if you haven't gone through them, the, the, the feeding miracles, very important, because they're going to help us understand, one, the overall message of the feeding miracles. What we have to do is you have to pay attention to the numbers that are being used. And once you know that, this is one of these things that once you know the numbers, your eyes will be opened to those stories in a new way. You can't unsee it. But the numbers. Numbers, in general, were very important to the gospel writers. They're very important to that Jewish audience, the first century audience that read this, these gospels. They are to Jesus. And so take some time, look at those uh, videos, and you'll see why the particular numbers show up. And we'll put links down below in the description section and everything. But this will actually help you understand what Jesus is about to say, okay? So here we are. They just had the feeding of a 4,000. That's the Gentile area, the Decapolis. Now they're going to get in the boat. And they're arguing about not having any bread. And perhaps, I mean, perhaps it's because they were in the Gentile area. They're giving bread. Jesus provides bread for the Gentiles, but the disciples don't want to eat it. Why? Because it came from the Gentile area, even though it came from Jesus. The point is, now this discussion is happening. 
So Jesus says this. He says, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Right? I just fed 4,000 people. Come on. Don't you get it yet? And then he says, do you still not see or understand? So he's going to get into the metaphor of seeing and hearing. Are your hearts hardened? Verse 18, do you have eyes but fail to see? Just like Isaiah 42, you have eyes, but you're failing to see. You have ears, but you fail to hear. Now, clearly they're not getting something. So he's going to go back through a little bit of the lesson of what they've done. And he's, look at verse, the, the rest of uh, verse 18 and then 19. And don't you remember, Jesus says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And then he says, and when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Seven. Okay? And then he says, and you still do not understand. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I kind of scratch my head and think, no, actually, I don't still understand. I'm a little confused at this point, Jesus. I'm not sure how those, what you're getting at. There's something going on with seeing and hearing, having eyes that don't see and ears that don't hear. Okay? So, if we go back to this progression, right, towards the transfiguration, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, that's what Jesus just brings up. And what's going to happen along the way is as we're ascending up to the transfiguration, we're going to fill in these little blanks with some little stories. And the stories are going to help us understand what's going on with those disciples. They're like object lessons. The first one is, randomly, Jesus travels outside into the Gentile area. So he meets a Syrophoenician woman. She's a Gentile, right? But her daughter has a demon. And she's begging Jesus to drive out the demon. She sees who he is, right? Remember, this is a Gentile woman, and she's demonstrating faith. So, remember Isaiah 42. It's Israel that's blind. The servant, Israel, can't see what God is doing. So, there's irony here. A Gentile recognizes Jesus, and she demonstrates a persistent faith. They have a, they have a strange conversation because it sounds like he's insulting her. You know, he says, he says to her, look, uh, you know, we first have to let the children eat all they want. It's not right to take the children's food and toss it to the dogs, he says. He's not calling her a dog. The metaphor is, I'm going to Israel first, and then to the Gentiles. But her response is so passionate. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he says, whoa, I have not seen persistent faith in all of Israel. So he doesn't see this from the Pharisees, right? The, the Gentile woman, that's the irony. The Gentile woman sees it. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they don't have eyes to see. They're blinded. Uh, by whatever, their own theological presuppositions of the Messiah or however the Messiah is going to show up, whatever's happening, they're blinded. So you first get an ironic story. 
The disciples are there to view it, but that's it. Okay? Then, the very next story, what does Jesus do? He comes and he heals a deaf man. Ah, ears are being opened. And so, I want to take a look at this story in Mark. Because there's some little teeny details that will help us with the, the story after this, okay? So, it's Mark 7, 31 to 35. And they've just left the vicinity of Tyre, and they go through Sidon. They go down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. That's the pagan region. So, not only do you have a pagan woman who recognizes Jesus, you have now the pagan people over in the Decapolis. There are some people brought to him a man who was deaf. So here we're going to see ears are being opened. He could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hands on him. Next verse. After he took him aside, away from the crowd. Hmm. Notice this. Jesus is going to do a miracle, but he takes him away from the crowd. Who's the miracle for? His disciples. This is an object lesson. He's not there to show the crowd the miracle. He takes him away from the crowd. His disciples are with him, and they see ears being opened. So, he takes him away from the crowd. Jesus put his fingers into the man's ear. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He spit. Now, besides gross, why does he spit and touch the man's tongue? Well, there's a rabbinic tradition. There's a tradition that says the spittle of the Messiah will heal. So that's not random. And what happens? He says, he looks up to heaven, he sighs a deep, and be opened, he says. And that man's ears were open. And so we see, ah, ears being opened. So we go back to our progression, right? Gentile woman sees and, and has faith where even the Israelites didn't. He heals the deaf. Ears are being opened. Then, while in the Decapolis, feeds the 4,000, gets in the boat and has that discussion with the disciples about seeing and hearing, and when they don't get it, the very next thing he does, he heals the blind. Now, that is not random. So the next story we see is healing a blind man, okay? So if we go back, this is now Mark 8, right? This is where we left off. Uh, do you have, you, you have eyes that don't see and ears that don't hear? Do you still not understand? They're in the boat after, uh, after that, the feeding of the 4,000. And then immediately what happens is, starting in verse 22, who knows how it happened, you know, turn the boat, let's go over, to, you guys don't get it, then turn the boat over, we're going over to Bethsaida. And it says, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. Again. Now you're in a Jewish area, by the way. But he leads him outside the village. 
It's so important to see this. It's only for the disciples, not for the crowd. It's an object lesson of ears being opened and eyes being opened. And then again, the spittle, when he had spit on the man's eyes and put hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? Now, this is so cool because we have a miracle that's going to take place in stages. Well, that's how our seeing and hearing happens. It's in stages. It doesn't happen all at once. So he says, do you see anything? And the, the man answers him and he says, he looked up and he said, well, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. So Jesus goes to work again and he has to put his hands on him again. He says, once more, he put his hands on the man's eyes. And then what happens? His eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. So it's happening in stages. His eyes were opened, and he sees now clearly. And this is exactly what's happening with the disciples, and oh, by the way, with us. And then if you notice here on verse 26, Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. The miracle's not for the crowd. So I, I want you to see that the narrative is serving two purposes here. And this is so common in the Bible. The narrative serves two purposes. Yes, it records the miracles of Jesus. But it's not, it's not just a random list of things that Jesus did. So yes, it records those miracles. Of course it does. But there's another layer. It's showing us and the disciples through these object lessons that what's happening with the disciples is that their eyes and ears are being opened. And by extension, we can say, oh yes, that's happening to me too, because that's how it works. Right? So we, get, we go back to our progression. He heals a deaf man. Ears are opened. They have the feeding of the 4,000, the whole discussion about seeing and hearing. Then he heals a blind man immediately. What's the very next story? Peter says, ah, you're the Messiah, son of the living God. And then as they ascend up the mountain to the transfiguration, now when the disciples get up there, what's going on? Well, they see, their eyes are open, and they hear. They hear the voice from heaven. This is so cool. The, that the story is leading us up that mountain. Okay? Now, let me clear this a minute. You, if we want to, if, let's say we're not sure that, that, that this w message of seeing and hearing and eyes being opened and all of that is woven into the, to Mark's narrative. But let me just show you one other piece to this. So after the transfiguration happened, Jesus is going to head to Jerusalem, right? They're coming, I'm just going to use, it's metaphorically, they're coming off the mountain, post-transfiguration. Jesus is going to head to Jerusalem. He starts to talk about what's going to happen to him. And he sets his face for the task that he has to accomplish, the cross. Now, this is actually quite common for the mystics throughout history. You don't ascend into a mystical experience so you can sit at the top of the mountain and gaze at your navel and contemplate life. That's not the point. The mystical experience 
gives you new eyes and a new understanding of God and His creation and what you must do in it. It gives you a new perspective to stand in the fire of the world on behalf of your community. That's why leaders like Jesus ascend like that. Because inside that mystical experience, you see something greater. Remember, well, in Luke, they're, they're, we'll show you in a minute, they're talking about his exodus, what's about to happen. You see something greater than the events of this world. You leave that mystical experience stronger. Why? Well, because you're in the presence of God. Of course, it's going to affect you. You leave the mystical experience stronger and with the courage to face what's coming. This is what Jesus is doing in his humanity. He's going to have to face the cup of wrath from God, who's going to pour it out on him. That's the, the Gethsemane. He's, on, he's in the garden. Yes? Father, take this cup. Well, what cup is he talking about? It's the cup of wrath. And Jesus says, if there's any other way to do this, take this cup from me, Father. But if it's not your will, then I will go through it anyways. So Jesus doesn't fail in the garden like the first Adam failed in the garden. Jesus is the last Adam who's able to accomplish what the first Adam failed to do. That's the story of the Gethsemane and going to the cross. Now, this experience at the top of the mountain, having this discussion with Elijah and Moses, is so important to what's going to take place in Jerusalem. Now, what's cool, though, is let me get back to the seeing and hearing. As Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, he meets this character along the side of the road who addresses Jesus as the son of David. Now, this is so important, especially in the, in the Gospel of Mark. Son of David, in the first century, was a messianic title. So, when he says, son of David, what he's saying is, I recognize that you're the Messiah. And what's so cool is that this moment in the, book, in the Gospel of Mark is the very first time that someone addresses Jesus as the son of David. He sees the reality of who Jesus is. And guess what? The guy is blind. And it's brilliant. It's, a, it's the use of irony in your literary telling of the story. The first person to see Jesus as the Messiah is blind. And that's the whole, it goes back to that Isaiah 42. Come on, Israel, are you blind? Are you deaf? And so people are now, the blind are beginning to see who Jesus is. It's a very important thread that rolls through not only the whole Bible, but this gospel and the idea of the transfiguration. So if you go back to that Isaiah 40, I'm sorry, Isaiah 42, hear, you deaf, open those ears, you blind, see, right? Israel, you're blind, you're deaf, you're in a covenant with me, but you can't see. I mean, it's, this ought to be convicting to us. Am I missing something because I'm still blind? even though I'm in a relationship with God, right? Verse 20, you've seen many things, but you pay no attention. 
Your ears are open, but you do not listen. What's supposed to happen when the Messiah comes? Eyes and ears are opened. That's part of the transfiguration story. Can you see it? Can you see it? And if you can't see it at this moment, allow it to digest. It's so important to remember that learning comes through repetition. So allow it to digest. Allow God to work within you. Go back and watch or listen to, a, listen to the podcast a second time. That's how we learn. Ask God to open your eyes to these details, right? And God will help you do that in ways that you'll probably never expect. But this is what's going on with this uh, transfiguration and the progression that Mark is showing us. Now, one last piece that has to do with eyes and ears. It comes from Luke, and Luke is the only one who includes this detail. But it helps us understand what's happening, okay? So Luke 9, 29-32, they've gone up the mountain, and then the text says this, So as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking to, with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, his exodus, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So this story is going to be connected to Jesus in Jerusalem. But then look at, look at the next verse. This is so cool. Verse 32. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. Now, Luke's the only one to mention that detail. But then it says, when they became fully awake, right? What happened? They saw. This is what's happening. It's the, the revealing of the nature of who Jesus is. All of us are in some way, even those disciples, we're sleepy. Our eyes are closed. We're not fully awake. And then boom, something happens and we, our eyes open up and we see Jesus in a new way. And if you've ever had this happen in your life, it's, it's awesome to see where you just get this glimpse of something that's so much more than we, can, than we normally comprehend, right? And they see the glory in the two men standing with him. It's the same metaphor. They're asleep and they can't see. Okay, let's do a quick review and then we'll finish up. The feeding miracles. Jesus goes back and gives them a, a little lesson in the feeding miracles. You have eyes but don't see and ears but don't hear. The disciples don't get it yet. And then we find out the disciples, don't forget, are with Jesus. You get the, Syro, the Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile. She gets it. She can see. Then he's got a, another Gentile. He heals the deaf. The ears are being opened. Not for the crowd, but for the disciples. It's an object lesson. Then you get the feeding of the 4,000. They still don't get it. So Jesus says, pull the boat over. We're going to Bethsaida, right? What does he do there? He heals a blind man. In stages, your eyes are opening, but it's not clear. Let's open them a little bit more. Ah, now I can see. And the very next story, the next verses in Mark, look them up. Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. His eyes are opening to who Jesus is. Then they ascend even further. You're up on top of the mountain that spiritual journey, 
and they begin to see the reality of Jesus in God's creation. Of course, you have a little bit of confirmation with the story of Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. He's blind, but he can clearly see who Jesus is as the son of David, where the religious leaders, kind of like when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in, in John chapter 3, he's like, uh, Nicodemus, you should be able to figure these things out, right? Those religious leaders, they knew their scripture, they knew their theological doctrines, but they were blinded when the Messiah showed up. So, seeing and hearing, it's part of that transfiguration story. Do you have eyes that see? Do you have ears that hear? Now, if you don't think so, or even if you do think so, pray that God would open your eyes to reveal truth to you. God loves to open eyes. That's how the kingdom is manifested here on earth. That's how the kingdom comes. Is when people see the reality of what's going on around them. So you can pray. I mean, one uh, you could pray. Very simple prayer. You could say something like this. God, give me eyes to see truth. Now, you're not, obviously, you're not talking about physical eyes, spiritual eyes. God, give me eyes to see truth. Or maybe you could pray along with that. You could just say very simply, I'm strong enough to know the truth. God, give me eyes to see truth. I'm strong enough to know the truth. Prepares yourself to know the truth. Because truth is not always easy. But it will set you free, yes? So you prepare it. You tell yourself, I'm strong enough to know the truth, God. Like the, the it's the great psalm, uh, David, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know all of, the, all of my inequities, right? David's telling God, I'm opening up to you. Search me. Know everything about me. Test me. Give me eyes to see truth. So God loves to do that. So if we have a prayer as we leave tonight, may we see God, see and hear in the transfiguration aspects of you that we did not understand before. So give us all eyes to see and ears to hear the glory of your creation and your son, Jesus the Messiah.